Welcome to another edition of This Week in Digital Trust, 11M's regular conversation about all things tech policy, privacy and cybersecurity. I'm Arj and this week we have a special episode. There's no Jordan sadly, but instead I'm going to have a conversation with some experts about current attitudes and practices of record keeping for disadvantaged members of our society. Regular listeners of the podcast would know that Jordan and I often discuss the importance for each of us of having a sense of control and agency over our own information and how our sense of control over our own lives can feel challenged when organizations exert more control over our records than they should. It turns out this is a particularly pronounced problem for some of our most disadvantaged. So today we're going to explore this experience in more detail. I'm joined by Frank Golding and Barbara Reed, two experts in this area. Frank is a life member of CLAN, which is the National Care Lever Advocacy Body. He has lived experience of out-of-home care, which we'll explore. But as a social historian, he's also contributed to formal inquiries dealing with the institutionalization of children, and he's presented papers on child welfare in a number of countries. Frank has a PhD from Federation University, and he's written more than a dozen books. Barbara Reed is a research fellow on the Rights in Records project at Monash University. She's also an independent archives and records consultant and has worked with a range of government, non-government, private and non-profit organisations in Australia and internationally. Barbara's done a lot of work on issues of empowering access to records for the care lever community and the stolen generation. One of the pieces of work she's done that we'll be talking about is the Charter of Lifelong Rights in Childhood Record Keeping in Out-of-Home Care. Frank Golding and Barbara Reed, welcome to This Week in Digital Trust. Great to be here. Thank you. I guess for our listeners, the broader context for the conversation, in terms of our podcast, we often discuss ideas like uh, the sense of agency and the sense of identity and power that people feel in relation to their own information and how it's managed. And we often talk about how the way that information is handled shapes our own sort of story and experience of the world and that in the context of particularly larger organizations digital organizations we don't always have the autonomy and control over that information over our information that we would expect and i recently learned that for australians who've experienced disadvantage some of those challenges are even more pronounced i thought it would be a fascinating conversation for us to have and to learn and explore more about what that experience is and what are some of the things that are being done to help address some of the challenges and issues in this space and very fortunate to have two experts in this area. Frank, perhaps a good place to start is with you. I was wondering if you could talk through what is your lived experience in this space and also some of the things that you're looking at in regards to these challenges. Perhaps I'd start with a sort of biographical account. Many people don't understand that the out-of-home care system is a huge uh, system. Over half a million children between the period 1930 to 1980 lived in out-of-home care and as we speak today 50 odd thousand children will not be living with their parents tonight. When I tell my particular story I always like to say every story is different but my story is very typical of that historical period of 19 well for me the 1940s onwards. After my father had a drunken row with my mother he uh, took his two sons to the child welfare department in, in Melbourne to teach her a lesson. They readily admitted us and believed our father's story without ever checking with our mother. 
We then bounced around for the next uh, 12 years. I was two years of age and uh, escaped the system in, when I was 15. Uh, so in all that time, I never knew what uh, was going on. Nobody ever sat down and talked with me. I had no idea that written records were being made about me. I discovered that when I was in my late 50s. I had so many questions about that childhood. Three foster families, three institutions. What was going on? I knew my parents were alive and I, I lived in the Ballarat Orphanage from 1943 to 1953 in an orphanage when I had parents. What was I doing there? So it was really a great surprise and delight to learn that there were records and that I could access them under the FOI legislation, which had been introduced, what, in the 1980s. It took me a while to catch up with that fact. So I applied for my records and there's another story. I found that, in fact, I had to go to several different places to get the records. There wasn't a record about me. There were several records, depending on who kept them and, and why and where they were deposited and so on. Lots of redactions, information that seemed to be important but was kept from me. At that point, I'm a 60-year-old man and stuff which was written about me as a child, I couldn't read. Somebody else could read them, but I couldn't. And there were gaps. Sometimes there were years when nothing was recorded. All of this, as I said at the beginning, is very typical of the experience of care leavers. You know, I'm an historian by profession, if you like, and I just saw this as a huge challenge. I had to track down why things were redacted, what was missing, where else could I go for these records? The whole story couldn't be found in the welfare system. I had to go to a number of places, including police, military, other street directories, family genealogy, and so on. And out of that, all of that, in fact, emerged a really complex story of intergenerational welfareism. My mother's two sisters were in the same Ballarat orphanage. Incredible. One of them died there. And then I found that, in fact, it goes back to my mother's great-grandfather, my mother's grandfather, I'm sorry, uh, who was incarcerated in the system as an 11-year-old boy. And so a generational history was being created in that way. Can I go back to that moment when you discovered your records, you started looking over them? I'm curious to just explore what were the sort of emotions you were feeling as you were reading through these records and, you know, how did that sort of, I guess, wash against your own sense of self and what you knew to be, you know, who you were and what your story was? It's a strange feeling to read about yourself as a child. Never anything written by me. It was always written by adults and never written with the intention that I should read them as a mature adult, but written for other adults. It was exciting to think I was going to find answers to questions which had puzzled me all that time. But you know, the overwhelming feeling as I got stuck into the reading, overwhelming feeling was anger. Anger that people would write stuff in the callous and unfeeling way they did. They saw us as problems. There was never much about achievements. Uh, the feeling was lack of respect, judgmental, material that didn't need to be there. Like, for example, should I be allowed to complete year 10? No, because the mother would get the benefit from that. I just found that absolutely appalling that 
a social worker or a welfare worker would write such rubbish, make such a personal comment, which had absolutely nothing to do with my educational future. Having had access to the records, were you able to then see how those records and, and the way they were written had retrospectively impacted your experience over the years? Were there certain things that you had experienced in life, uh, potentially challenges you'd experienced that could be sort of pinned back to the way those records that were created and what they had said about you? No, I think there's a, a total disconnect. Nothing that was written about me was known by me. These people were writing stuff about me which I had no awareness of. Nobody gave me anything. At the point of departure into the world, world, I had nothing. Here's your suitcase, off you go. I mean, children taken into care often have a file created and the circumstances of being taken into care are written down. And then they are passed on from agency to agency or social worker to social worker without taking into account the fact that circumstances have changed. And there are so many parents who suffer uh, from being labelled when they were in a point of crisis, a point of, of, of real struggle in their lives, but they got their act together, they stopped drinking or they stopped taking drugs or whatever they did, they got their act together and they weren't allowed to have their children back. And the records that were created at the time are a weapon or, or were used as a weapon against them having the right to their children's custody. People should see records as being having made at a point of time, but shouldn't then be taken to be eternally true. Barbara, if I can maybe bring you in, when you hear a, an experience like Frank's, what does that tell you about our approach to record keeping? The whole way records work and the impact of those records on individuals is really what we are seriously now addressing. And in the past, I think records were made to protect the institution. They weren't about the person. They were about what does the organisation need? So everything was from the perspective of the organisation. And records weren't transparent. There was no accountability to uh, the individuals affected by the actions. So it was a closed world in many ways. And that's one of the, the factors that, that contributes to those horrible things people felt that they could write in records. Judgmental, biased, not supported by anything. It was really often an individual's perspective. The records were constructed in a way that were not focused on the person. They were focused on the organisation. They were about accountability, often about money. The child at the centre of those records was not the focus. We've had um, decades of advocacy, and it's from people like Frank that that advocacy has had its impact. And the change that we need to make in how records are kept and managed and owned and accessed and who we privilege in the records is really a slow journey. The work I'm doing at the moment is really about understanding what the purpose of the record could be, should be for the child and using experiences and the multiple um, testimony of people who've been through a variety of circumstances. But the, the reason records are so important to people who've been taken out of their family environments is that there's so much implicit information in a family. You kind of don't even think about it. It's 
the chat over the dinner table, it's the family photos, it's the fact that there's a box of, oh, mum's got my drawings in the back thing. And at some point in my life, mum says to me, oh, look, I'm cleaning out, I'm going to give all your junk in. And you can determine what to do with your records. You've been a participant, you've been surrounded by your records and your family history in a way that you're not even probably conscious of. But someone who's not got that looks to records as a major factor in constructing those links. There's a whole identity formation stuff which is incredibly important. Frank has already talked about the fact that it's a very fragmented system. So records follow the actions, if you like. That's the kind of rationale of record keeping. They document something. But in a system which is so complex, so big, so extended, so multi-factored, your record is fragmented. People come with an expectation that they'll get the file and they'll get the answers to the questions, burning questions, reconciling my memory to what actually is in the file, being able to find links to my brothers and sisters, or even to hold the institution to account because we know there's been some awful things happening over the years. And then you find this really fragmented system which is all over the shop. Everybody's got a bit of the story because we have outsourced, privatised, distributed responsibility. And then when you get your records, they've been incredibly disappointing. They've been redacted. Frank's already said people who aren't him are able to see intimate details of his life, but he's not. You expect to find your memories validated and you find that it's a very institutional record, your memories aren't there... We don't want this to keep happening. We want to change current practice in order to create a better environment and a more empowered environment for individuals, children in particular. It seems to me, and I, I don't know if this is an apt way to put it, but for the most part, the sort of inverted commas, normal experiences, you benefit from that nurturing approach to your story and your records. And it's only when you leave the home and then you start to think about how other institutions are maintaining your records as an adult that you start to think about issues like access and correction and to make sure that the company is only holding the things we want them to hold. As I hear you talk, it feels like this is something that children need to contend with at a much younger age when they're in in care. Frank, I'm curious, what was your experience having seen your records of trying to get things corrected? Did you go down that path trying to have the story aligned back to who you felt you were and to fill in those blanks that you were seeing? Did the institutions and the people that you were dealing with, one, have a sense that that was something that was legitimate for you to pursue and that they were willing to help with? And did they even have the skills and the frameworks and the processes to be able to help you? I picked you up on that point about the contrast between the normal family and the out-of-home care family. This was brought home to me when my youngest son, uh, Daniel, had his 21st birthday party. And we thought we'd make a video. And we made a, easily made a video celebrating particular milestones, achievements at school, birthdays, sporting things, his friends. I contrasted that with my own experience and my and lots and lots of my friends who grew up in the out-of-home care system. There was no way they could do that. The contrast is actually between a normal family where you, you keep records like school reports and achievements, sporting achievements and so on. You keep them because it's part of the nurturing and love relationship you have in a family. Whereas the record keeping framework in the out of home care is some sort of nexus between the justice system and the welfare system. And it's not about nurturing it at all. It's about covering their own backsides uh, now, my reaction was 
I'm going to write my own story. I'm going to construct my narrative. I, this is my story and I'll tell it the way I want to tell it. Many people, of course, can't do that. A lot of care leavers want to write their own story in various forms, you know, not necessarily an extended memoir, but you know, sometimes only two or three pages or even to talk into a tape. They're anxious not only just to correct the record, but also to tell their own children what life was like as a child. This kind of leads us to the whole kind of freedom of of information regime, which is not a very happy regime, and as we know, quite subject to political fluctuation. It isn't a particularly approachable system. For Caleb's in particular, it's confrontational in a way that it shouldn't be. It's quite bureaucratic. You get someone else making judgments about what you can see. It's a very unsatisfactory process quite harmful and then you get a record at the end which can be equally traumatizing and we know people get records and their reaction to them can be incredibly traumatic. I've heard stories of people burning them, almost ritually burning the records, of them burying them, of them leaving them unopened and collecting dust and I was just reading the Miles Franklin winner book called Bodies of Light. Two of the protagonists in that book access their records. One turns to heroin and then has a spiralling experience and one ends up in a psych ward. So these are not insignificant consequences to records. Perhaps this is a good segue into the, the charter. Barbara, you've been doing some work on, for our listeners, uh, the charter of the lifelong rights in childhood record keeping in out-of-home care. Thinking about how we can do better record keeping from the start, would you be able to tell us a little bit about that, your work on it, and, and even more broadly, the intersection between you know record keeping and human rights? Your audience could probably already hear the intersection between human rights yeah. and record keeping, but record keeping is a factor that provides the evidence. We have known of these issues for 25 years. We've um, got guidelines, we've got access principles. Organisational barriers are significant. But this isn't a retrospective problem. It's a problem about current practice and the issues of current children. So the Charter is about saying to organisations currently involved in the out-of-home care sector how can you do record keeping in order to improve and to enable the child to be a more active, engaged, informed person in their own care? So this is about empowering children. Administration of child protection is in fact a state responsibility. So each of the jurisdictions do their own thing. In order to kind of overcome that, we've positioned this in the context of human rights, which are of course pan-jurisdictional, so applies to everybody. By positioning it as a fundamental set of core things that we're trying to address, we've then linked record-keeping into those frameworks and said this is core. In order to protect, enable, instantiate your human rights, you need good records. There are four major framing rights, uh, participation, memory, identity and accountability. And then we've written record-keeping rights specific to those areas and also some particular rights in record-keeping that are really critical in this sector. So participatory rights in record-keeping, and that's around how do you want the record to be written? Sharing the record as it is written with the child. Making sure that the child signs off, if you like, on the language that is used about them, that they're gendered correctly, that they get to say or a say in who can 
access the record at the time, in who can share the record. These are the types of things that we want to give rights to children as the records are being made. Is there a broader shift in attitude, in broader public conversation around this that you would like to see? Are you looking for the needle to shift in terms of what government's doing? Curious to hear your thoughts on that bigger picture takeaway. I think the other factor that needs to be brought into that larger conversation is the concept of data. And somehow data is being conceptualised as being different from records. We've got a long history, a documented history, a deep history of how we need to manage personal information over time. And to think that we have to reinvent everything in the data environment and or not learn those lessons that have been painfully learned is really problematic. So there's a lot of issues that are uh, being bubbling around around the use of data and the algorithms and the kind of weaponization of personal data. And particularly, you can see it in like this week's exercise around all of the breaches and the technological determinism or solutionism that seems to have been applied to personal data. And without any of the frames, without any of the controls, without any of the same sensitivity, or perhaps it wasn't sensitivity in the past, but the gatekeeping of the past to information has been kind of so undermined by the technological environment of the present and the disrespect for people's personal information. It's almost like chalk and cheese. I just find them incompatible. But the broader conversation is clearly around, as we are all, as citizens, surveilled more and more and more, the rights that we have as individuals, and I don't want to sound sovereign citizen or anything, but we do need to be able to assert our rights and to take control of our own data. And we have a real practical, consequential example of what it actually means to take control, to exert agency. In the examples of the children in out-of-home care, they're a leading light and they can show us the consequences in many different places. Think of things like the number of children in detention, the number of uh, unaccompanied minors in refugee camps, children who were subject, or even the, the women who were subject to forced adoption, historical examples of children displaced by war and, and international adoption. And of course, then you put in the, the specific special case of Indigenous children, where current statistics are that they are 10 times more likely than children in non-Indigenous families to be separated from families. So this is really a serious social issue on so many levels. The question of ownership, I think, uh, has changed. Uh, when I went back to get my records in the early 90s, um, I was told they're not your records, they're our records. Um, but it's about me, surely I own it. It's my file, isn't it? That battle has not yet been won, but it's certainly on the agenda. You know, I'm 84 years of age. Why does a government department have records about me as a child? The only purpose that can be served is to give me the information that's in them so that I can make better sense of my memory and understanding of how I've developed as a person. I think we, we will win that battle eventually where people say, look, I'm creating a record of your childhood experience here so that when you grow up 
uh, we'll give you that record and you can take it away and understand all the things that you didn't understand at the time. There's a really interesting, knotty set of record-keeping problems in that, first of all, the concept of keeping records for a lifetime. These days we work in systems which are technologically based and the life of a system is probably five years, rule of thumb. So we have to keep those records going and I don't think organisations have come to grips with that. Who's responsible for keeping these things? And, and I think that business of it's my record or you know institutionally is a kind of a continuation of a paternalistic uh, view. And we've still got incredible challenges for organisations to understand that participatory record keeping means opening up systems from the get go. And that is something that, well, we can see some, you know, fairly daggy starts to that in things like the My Health Record or perhaps even MyGov, those types of systems, but really they're not transitioned to enabling individuals agency and access. So the, the organisationally, institutionally, there's an enormous change that still needs to happen. The people on the ground have undergone a significant transition to a child-centric practice, but the systems they're working with have not transitioned. Just hearing you both speak, I'm just really struck by how many parallels there are in some of the concepts we sort of work through when we talk about privacy in a corporate context, you know, those ideas around ultimately who owns the record. It's the ownership of the individual and this idea of what should matter at the end of the day is the truth. You know, you were saying, Frank, that that's, you know, what we should be sort of holding up as our sort of higher order principle. And this idea that the data is, should be reflective of the truth, not whatever it is useful for it to be as an asset for an organization to defend itself or to to promote itself but you know we often talk about the realm of the child is often unfortunately a place where poor privacy practices are tried out if you like there's a sort of a sense that organizations might try things with kind of biometrics or surveillance because they're disenfranchised and they don't have a voice and i'm starting to feel actually a little bit optimistic that some of the work that you have both been involved in around children and the idea of participatory record keeping and trying to sort of solve some of the challenges you're dealing with might actually kind of flip that on its head and take us to a point where we're looking at leading edge and much more modern approaches to information and record keeping in this kind of out of home child context that maybe we can take and do better with when we talk about ownership and participation for everybody's information and records. So I think it's been really fascinating to hear your experience, Frank, and also from you, Barbara, to hear about the thinking that's going into this space. And I think there's a lot for us to learn from. Thank you both for your time. I might just leave it with you both to see if you had any closing words. I'd just like to tell people that there's a lot of information available on our project on the web. That's at monash.edu slash it slash clrc. Also to say very clearly that this is not my work per se. It is in fact a project that has involved a whole lot of other people and I'd like to acknowledge Professor Sue McKemish, Associate Professor Joanne Evans and uh, Dr Nina Lewis amongst others. Thank you very much again for both your time and um, perhaps uh, we can speak again on this important topic again in the future. Thank you. Thank you.